0: And turn with me to the book of Judges. The book of Judges in chapter number 13. Judges in chapter number 13. Now remember on Wednesday night we talked about Jephthah. He was uh, the last judge that we had mentioned about in detail. And that Jephthah had ruled, reigned about six years. Now during his six year reign, two young boys are born at this time. We have taken time on Wednesday night and Sunday morning to talk about the young man of Samuel, to be able to see his father Elkanah, to see his mother Hannah, and to see as this woman, Miss Hannah, who did not have any children, she was barren, pray and God granted her request and she had a son who she gave to the Lord and we watch this young man as he grew in favor with God and he grew in favor with the Lord uh, with men now we see his compatriot we get to see the other side that God raised two young men at the same time to help change and to to bring Israel to the place of serving God and to know God's will and to deliver them from their enemies. We are introduced to this second young man who was born at the time, his contemporary, and we find it in the book of Judges and chapter number 13. Judges in chapter 13, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 1. Judges chapter 13 in verse 1, the word of God says this, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not uh, wine, nor strong drink, And eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told he me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the men of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that should be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah her husband was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife, and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let the words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither shall her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing all that I commanded her let her observe and Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord I pray thee let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee and the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah though thou detain me I will not eat of thy bread and if thou will offer a burnt offering thou must offer it unto the Lord for Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid ...with a meat offering, and offered it unto the rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up towards heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it, and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all the things, nor would he at this time have told us such things as these. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that we see in the book of Judges, chapter number 13, that describes the child Samuel and how he used to grow up? In fact, it is mentioned several times, but notice with me in verse number 5. The child shall be a Nazarite. The child shall be a Nazarite. Once again, in verse number 7, the child shall be a Nazarite. And both of them are unto God. uh, that Samson here, we see that he is a Nazarite unto God. And we're going to explore Samson before he's even born in this time here, that he is a Samson, a Nazarite unto God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the great privilege of being here, opening up your word. Thank you that we get to study your word and glean from it. And these exciting passages of Samson and Samuel, help us to glean from them and to be able to apply these things to our own lives. And to learn from you and to seek after you. Again, I'm very conscious of my need of you, so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, and that you be a blessing to these dear folks who came out tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're introduced to this passage to a contemporary of Samuel, and that is Samson. Now, leading into this time of Samson, we had Jephthah who began to rule. After him, immediately, there was several other judges. Notice with me in Judges chapter 12... And verse number uh, seven, let's pick it up where we left off. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. And after him, Ibezin of Bethlehem and then after that after Ebenezer we had Eleon and after Eleon we had Abdalon and then we come to the place where the Philistines are now in charge and the Philistines are now ruling for about 40 years they're they're overseeing the cities are uh, they're, um, they're taking charge and we find here in the midst of the the Philistines now ruling now oppressing now plaguing israel we now have a second child who is born in the midst of this mess the first thing i'd like to show you from this passage is the rules of a Nazarite. the rules of a Nazarite. notice with me in chapter 13 and verse 1 and the children of israel did evil again You almost get tired of seeing that in the book of Judges. That over and over, the children of Israel did evil again. And the children of Israel did evil again. That phrase is over and over and over. You almost think someone should learn their lesson and stop backsliding. Stop turning away. Do what's right. But again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them in the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. That sounds familiar. Didn't we already have another lady who was barren? Miss Hannah. She couldn't have a child. Now here's another one. Manoah and his wife. And they can't have children. And verse number three. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. And said unto her. Behold now thou art barren and bearest not. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not anything unclean. For thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, the woman... She goes back and tells her husband and explains, I saw this man of God, this, this angel of the Lord. He came out and he told me, we're going to have a baby. And uh, she already had a good testimony, so he's not calling her crazy or anything. He wants to see for himself that this angel of the Lord came out and gave rules. And he wants to hear about it. Notice how he seeks in verse number eight. And Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst sin come again unto us and teach us what we should do unto the child that is born. Now, Manoah wants to talk to the angel of the Lord and get instructions. And he says, I want to know how to raise this child. I want to hear from him. Now, notice he doesn't send um, higher people to go search through the valleys. He doesn't go to the city and put wanted signs. He goes to God and says, God, I want you to send that man back. I want you to tell us how to raise our child. And sure enough, the angel of the Lord came. By the way, if you remember, as we talked with Gideon, this angel of the Lord is not just a random angel. This is Jesus robed in flesh. That Jesus showed up and he in his body talked to this lady and told her about that she's going to have a child. And gave her instructions. Manoah comes out. And says God. I want you to come down again. And tell me. How to raise this child. So once again. The lady's out in the field. Jesus comes down. She says wait a second. She go grabs her husband. Brings him back and says here he is. And then Jesus gives instructions again. About how to raise their children. About something special. About. Samson now remember Hannah Hannah had also said when she was praying to God that I will give this child if you give me a child i 'll give this child to you, and he will be a Nazarite now once again, Jesus comes down and says, "This boy Samson that you 're going to have." He is going to be a a Nazarite. Now that's twice that we see these two young boys, both contemporaries. Remember, both parents were barren. They had been praying to God. God said, guess what? One of them, God's used a a priest to tell her that your prayers are going to be answered. The other one, Jesus came directly down and said, guess what? You're going to have a a child. Both of them, both of these children were supposed to be separated unto God as a Nazarite. So the question is, what is a Nazarite? Well, the Nazarite is an Old Testament vow that could be made. Most of the time, that vow is a temporary vow, meaning it was made for a short time. Uh, even Paul the Apostle made a vow of a Nazarite. And usually people would make a sh- short vow and they would obey these rules for a small time to get something accomplished, to fast, to, to, uh, to promise a God that they would fulfill a project But here, Samson and Samuel were to be lifelong Nazarites. And there were three major rules for someone to follow the vow of a Nazarite. The first rule, notice with me if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 14. Let's observe these rules. She may not eat anything that cometh from the vine... Neither let her drink wine or strong drink. So the first rule is that they were not allowed to drink grape juice or alcohol. They were not allowed to have anything from the grapevine or any alcohol. So it's not just they couldn't stay away from alcohol. They couldn't have grape juice. They couldn't have anything from there. There was something they were supposed to be separated to God even in their diet. You know, some of us try the diets and we do different things and we do it for our own health and whatever else. But Samson and Samuel were to be separate to God even in how they ate. Even their appetites were to be surrendered to God. What they put in their mouth were supposed to be surrendered. The, everything they had. You know, if you could surrender your appetites to the Lord, you're surrendered completely to the Lord. Most of us understand that because we live in a society where half of us sleepwalk to our refrigerator if we need to, right? I mean, we're hungry, we go eat. We're hungry, we go get something now. We, we are some, we're a society, right, wrong, or indifferent, we like food. That's why we're Baptist, right? You know, we like the fellowships, we like the other stuff. So if someone is able to surrender their appetites to the Lord, that is someone who surrendered not just with their appetites, with their, but with their whole body. We understand that, right? And so this is their first rule is that they could not drink grape juice and they could not do alcohol or touch anything clean thing. The second rule that they had is that they could not touch any unclean thing. Uh, we see that uh, in the vow here. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number four again. Uh, he repeats the rules several times. So I'm just picking it up as we see here. Uh, Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, drink not wine, any strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. Now, it's also in the uh, vow of the Nazarites, we'll see that in the book of Leviticus, or if you do your own research on it, that not only could they not eat any unclean thing, they could not touch any unclean thing. That means they could not touch any dead body, even if it was their own relative, because it's considered unclean. That means if mom passed away, Samson would not be able to touch his dead mother. He made a vow that he was going to, everything he touches is going to be pleasing to God. And that he, doesn't, he wants to stay clean. He wants to stay right. And that the Jewish law had certain things they considered to be unclean. Uh, and a lot of it was safety. For example, if you touched a dead body, you had to wash your hands and be purified. Then you had to stay away from people for seven years. Or not seven years, seven days. Why was that? Because you didn't want to spread germs around. We know that now, but they didn't know there were such things as germs. God was very smart in his rules. But for a Nazarite, they could not touch any dead thing. They could not touch any unclean thing. There were certain things they could, they could not touch in order to stay right with God. So not only they have to be separated in their appetites, they had to be separated in what they did with everything. It was something that, that marked them apart. The third thing that, they, that was a vow of a Nazarite, verse number 5, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no Razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Let me take a quick pause there. Notice that from the womb, you know, God says this child is going to be separated from me, even from the womb. Notice this not from birth, but from the womb for any of those who are trying to determine still whether a child is a child before he's born. Well, God says, hey. He's going to be clean before he's We're you you keep him from the womb. He's going to be separated unto me, not just from birth, but from the womb. But the third thing is that they could not cut their hair. Now, what is the reason for this? Is it because God wants hippies running around? What is the purpose of it? Well, the Bible explains that the vow of a Nazarite that they could not cut their hair because a sign of long hair was a sign of shame. What does that mean? Well, the vow of a Nazarite, when someone would make a vow to God, they wouldn't cut their hair. And it would be a sign of public shame that I made a promise to God and I have not yet fulfilled that promise. Does that make sense? So he had long hair and it was a testimony to everyone that he had made a promise to God and that he has not yet fulfilled that promise. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, yea, doth not even nature teach you that a man have a a long hair, he is ashamed. Someone may argue with me and say, well, preacher, how long is long? Well, let me tell you the answer. It's the opposite of short. So if your hair is not short, it is long. That's easy. We can figure that out, right? (laughs) But for the vow of the Nazarite, during the time of his vow, he could not get a haircut. And he would let it grow out. And it wasn't to brag and it wasn't to say, look at me. What it was, was it was a public sign of shame that he had not yet fulfilled a promise that he had made. Now, again, most people would make a small uh, vow and they would do it for a little while. Lord, help me to accomplish this one thing. And it may take a couple months, maybe a year. But, you know, they would take short vows of a Nazarite. Where they would be unclean. They wouldn't touch dead bodies. They wouldn't cut their hair. And again, the Apostle Paul was one of those who took a small vow. There was only three lifelong vows of a Nazarite. Given, recorded in the Bible. That was Samuel. Samson. Samson. And John the Baptist, only those three were the only people who had a lifelong vow of a Nazarite. Now, if I could take another pause out here. Some people, years ago, got confused reading their Bible. And they confused the term Nazarite with a Nazarene. A Nazarene is just someone who lives in the village of Nazareth. That was Jesus Jesus was not a Nazarite, and by the way, Jesus did not have long hair. Some artists didn't understand his Bible and said, Hey, look, it's a Nazarite. No, it's Nazarene, he misread it. And he started drawing pictures of Jesus with long hair. That is not how Jesus looked. Jesus had short hair, short for their culture. Uh, because he was not a Nazarite. Just to kind of clarify something, Jesus is not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene, meaning he lived in the village of Nazareth. He never took this vow. He was God, didn't really need to be separated from God. He always kept himself pure, never did anything wrong, so he didn't have any shame, so he did not have to have long hair. Does that make sense? Good. So there is a difference between a Nazarite and a Nazarene. But Samson... And Samuel, both of them were living at the same time. Isn't it interesting how they parallel? That both of them had mothers who could not conceive. Both of them were told that from birth they were be given or to be a Nazarite for the rest of their life. Both of them lived at the same time. And both of them had purpose. To bring Israel back to God. And to deliver them from the state they're in. By the way since they're living at the same time. They cross paths. They knew each other. Don't know if they were friends or not. But they at least knew each other. And both of them had the common enemy at that time. Of the Philistines. And both of them would be working. On different ends of the spectrum. That you had Samuel. Who would be working as a judge. And Religious leader trying to bring people back to God where you had Samson the Bible strong man who is going to be physically delivering he's going to be doing the hard lifting of fighting against the Philistines and the things that that Samuel is doing in prayer and on his knees and preaching it's going to be carried out by a lot of things Samson does physically. And we're going to watch these two lives parallel through the rest of our series here. But we see, first of all, the vow of a Nazarite. Now with this, we see that anytime someone is given to the Lord, if we were to have a baby dedication, the baby can't choose to follow God. We understand that. A baby's a baby. But what a parent does when they dedicate their par- their kid to the Lord, what they 're doing is the parents are dedicating themselves that they're going to raise that child correctly so that child has every opportunity to serve the lord and that 's exactly that's that's why God appeared to samson 's parents rather than to Samson himself because the parents had every responsibility to raise Samson. To look toward the Lord, to follow Him, to choose to serve Him for all of His life. They had the responsibility to say, you are special. God wants to use you. And there are certain things that you cannot do in your life so you can be used with God later. There are certain things you need to stay away from so you can be used by God later. There are certain things you don't put in your mouth so that way you could be used of God later. That's what parents are supposed to do. The parents are supposed to raise their kids and protect their kids and to say no to their kids. So that way their kids can be used of the Lord later. So we see, first of all, this vow of the Nazarite. The second thing we see here is not only the vow of the Nazarite, but we see them recognizing God. We see them recognizing God. in verse number 15 Uh, We see the rules of the Nazarite and then them recognizing God. Verse 15. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid to thee. Now, they just got good news. They're going to have a baby. And he's so happy. He says, hey, stay here. We'll go make you a meal. And we'll come back and let's just fellowship together. Jesus, the angel of the Lord, tells him. In verse number 16. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah. Though thou detain me. I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou will offer a burnt offering. Thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that it was the angel of the Lord. Now because Manoah didn't know this was Jesus. This was God robed in flesh. He just thought it was a messenger from God. He said hey. Eat with us. And the guy says, I can't. Now, if you're going to sacrifice something, you make sure you sacrifice it to God, even though it was God standing there because Manoah didn't know it was God. He was making sure that God got the credit for that. Manoah's eyes were on the Lord. Fine. You go ahead and make something, but we're not going to eat it. You give a sacrifice to God. and We'll stand here. And so they go. Verse number 17, and Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name when thou, uh, when we, when thy sayings come to pass, that we may uh, do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why askest thus after my name, seeing it is secret? The angel goes, uh, tells Manoah that, hey, you give a sacrifice unto God. Manoah says, all right, fine then, okay, you won't eat with us, we'll sacrifice to God. But when these things come to pass, uh, what's your name so I could tell people that it was you that told us? And again, because Manoah didn't know this was Jesus here, he says, you don't need to know my name. The only thing you need to know is that God gets the glory. Don't try to glorify something else. You glorify God from this. You make sure that God gets the credit for it. You don't need to know my name. You just need to know that God is the one that sent You know, sometimes it's good for all of us to be humble sometimes because we all like to get credit. We all like to get the pat on the back. But sometimes instead of us getting credit and people bragging about how great we are, we need to make sure that they're saying it's God. It's not me. It's God the whole time. That takes a lot of humbling. But we need to make sure that it's God that gets all the glory in the first place. So what happens is that. Manoah took a kid and a meat offering and offered it to the rock on the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. That means something amazing is about ready to happen. And Manoah and his wife looked on. So they went and they took the time to prepare a kid, a goat. And they put it up on the rock. And they said, all right, God, this is yours. And all of a sudden, something wondrous happened. Something amazing happened. What happened? Verse number 20 for it came to pass when the flame went up towards heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on and fell on their faces to the ground. So as they started burning the offering, the angel, this is how I envisioned it in my mind, all right? That the angel of the Lord, as the fire started going up and started raising up high, the angel just takes his hand up in it and just kind of steps into the flame, which shoots up to the sky. I mean, that would cause me to go down to my knees and go, wow, what just happened here? Manoah and his wife, they fall down and they go, we just saw something special. I think that was God. That was God. Now, Manoah, again, my idea of it starts freaking out. We're going to die. We just saw God. We're going to die. We're going to die. His wife is the voice of reason here and says, listen here, Manoah. If God was going to kill us, why would he make us give him an offering? Why would he put this through? Why would he give us instructions on how to raise the kid? If God was going to kill us, why go through that? He's not going to kill us. (laughs) I mean, I can understand, but no, I mean, you just saw some guy jump into the flames and shoot up to the sky. What just happened here? But his wife is the one that talks him down, says, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be all right. And so we start off with the rules of the Nazarite. Then we see them recognizing God. They recognized it was God. And God gets all the credit. God gets all the glory. It's all about him. The last thing I want to show you in this passage is raising of Samson. Raising of Samson. Notice with me in verse number 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times at the camp uh, in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. So here Samson grows up and as Samson grows up, he is used of God and God moves him here and he moves him there and God uses him over here. And it doesn't say anything bad about Samson at this point in time. Now, Samson, we know, is going to have some moral failings. He's going to have some issues. But one thing he did not do is he did not learn them from his parents. He did those things in spite of his parents. As we see this passage here, and we see the raising of Samson, we see the emphasis is not on Samson, but it's on his parents in this passage. That his parents had a responsibility to raise their child to serve the Lord. By the way, According to this passage here and the instructions given, if Samson did not grow up to serve the Lord, it would be the parents fault and not Samson's. Do you make do that make sense? Because if the parents were given responsibility to raise their children to serve the Lord. You know what the greatest thing for your children to do is to serve the Lord. You say, does that mean that they're going to be a missionary? They're going to be a preacher? Well, praise the Lord if they are. But God does call people to be mechanics, doctors. God could use people in different capacities. But no matter what they're doing, they should be serving God. God has a place for everyone. That every child should be so well trained that they could follow God's will no matter what it is. That's the responsibility. We should train our kids, even practical stuff. You know why kids should learn how to read? So they know how to read the Bible for themselves and to follow after God. You know, we as parents, we have a responsibility to help them to fall in love with the Bible. That's our responsibility. That's our job. The Bible talks about in Proverbs chapter 22 that... uh, In fact, let's turn there if you don't mind. Proverbs 22. Many people are familiar with this passage but Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 in verse number 6. I'll let you all find it there. But here, again, the emphasis is on the parents, and that's where we're trying to apply it at. I understand that not everyone has, has children yet, but a lot of us do. Some of us are even grandparents. You know how much of an influence you grandparents can be? Or you could plan to be if you don't quite have grandchildren yet? We have a great influence and a responsibility to point the kids to the Lord. Notice in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old... He will not depart from it. Now, this phrase, train up a child in the way that he should go, carries the idea that comes from an old colloquial term that when a baby was born. Now, remember, they don't have Walmarts so and they don't have Similac or something. The only way that a baby could be fed is off of mother. And so they needed to make sure that the baby was able to suck early on. So what they would do is they would have this Cream, this bitter cream that they would rub on the gums of the baby as soon as the baby would come out, and it would cause the baby to start going and, and cause them to start preparing their mouth. To be ready to suck when it is time. Now that's important in the old world. The baby needs to eat. And so this phrase came with that same idea. Of preparing them. Train up a child in the way that they should go. So notice this. So that when he is old. Now this passage is not saying that if you do what you're supposed to do, that what they're going to happen is that they're going to hit the preteens and they're going to get moody and then they're going to hit teenagers and they're going to rebel and twenties, they're going to live their own life, their own way, and they're going to sow their wild oats and 30. They're going to try to get things down. And finally, when they're 40, they might start serving God again. That's not what it's teaching. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, you place a number. When he is seven years old, he will not depart from it. When he is 13 years old, he will not depart from it. When he's 18 years old, he will not depart from it. When he's 21 years old, when he's 30, when he's 40, when he's 50, he will not depart from it. You see, the difference is, is not trying to correct the outside. It's trying to get the inside to serve God. It's trying to prepare the heart to seek after God. We could correct the outside behavior and miss the heart altogether. When it, this training the child is preparing their heart to follow the Lord. And that's our responsibility, parents. By the way, that's a battle. <laughs> It's a lifelong battle. It's an 18-year battle <laughs> that we're working with them and we're trying to love on them, but most important we're trying to get their heart towards the Lord. This is our responsibility as parents to train them up. By the way, there is nothing wrong with doing what Manoah said. Turn back with me back to 1 Samuel or not 1 Samuel Judges Judges 13. What in the world did Manoah do? Notice in verse number 18, or uh, Judges 13 in verse 8, he's praying to God. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst uh, send come again unto us, notice this, and teach us. What we shall do unto the child when he be born. Verse number 12. And Manoah said, let the words come to pass. How shall we order the child that we should should do unto him? There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Most of you realize that when the child is born, that he does not have anything attached to his leg like a manual. All right. There's no instruction manual when he comes out and says, This is how to raise your child. Most of us have to suffer along and trial and error and hope that we do things right. But the wise among us ask for help. Learn from those that are doing it. Most of all, ask for help from God. And by the way, he'll send someone to help you. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I need guidance. What do I do? The worst thing is to get in a pride mode and say, there's nothing wrong with my child. There's nothing wrong with my child. Let your child's heart get further away from you. There's everything good about saying, God, I want to do what you've given me to do. I need help. All of us need help. Before my wife and I were married, we had plenty of people say, this is how to work with your children how to work with your children when we were raising children my wife was asking plenty of people how do we raise them how do we work with them how do we do this what happens we're fixing to hit teenage years we think we may have answers (laughs) we know the bible has answers but we may be asking for help from those who fought those battles and carry those battle scars and say all right there's nothing wrong with asking for help and asking for wisdom the Bible says if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us liberally. But we have to realize that parents, we have a huge responsibility to raise our kids to serve the Lord. Grandparents, you are great support. You understand that as grandparents, you're the heroes, right? <laughs> Mom may say no, but grandma. No. But you have such an influence that there's sometimes that because of rebellion of a heart, because of other things, sometimes a child won't listen to a parent. But sometimes a grandparent can sit them on their knee and say, let me teach you how to follow God. Let me teach you how to read the Bible. Let me teach you how to pray for your future mate. Let me teach you these things. You know, we have huge responsibility and you're not in it alone. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You're not in it alone. But you can get help. And your help starts with God. You pray to Him and ask Him. He'll send you someone to help. But we have to realize that our first responsibility... ...is that we have the responsibility of training them... ...and their hearts towards the Lord. Now I understand this is uncomfortable... ...because some of us, we've made mistakes sometimes... ...and there's no redo. Don't you wish it was almost like a video game where you could just restart... Uh, Let's start off and do it again. Let's, Let's fix it this time. We don't have that. But you can't stay on past failures and say how horrible things are. You know what you do? You start from where you are and you move forward. You start from where you are and move forward. My wife and I made a joke earlier today that some kid maybe someday comes in and says... I don't really like it that mom and dad joined that church ever since then. I get more spankings. You know, that's one of the best things that could happen to them. Because that's a loving thing. It's a wonderful thing. Because we want them to learn, be re- learn to raise to the Lord. Now you understand what I mean. It's one of the most loving things we can do is to correct them and point them to the Lord. So, remember, as we dedicate kids to the Lord, we're not really dedicating the child and say, All right, you're on your own. You're supposed to serve God. But what we're doing is we're dedicating ourselves to say, Lord, help me to be the parent I can be, or I'm supposed to be, so that this child ends up serving you. By the way, if you've never dedicated your children to the Lord, now would be a good time. If you've never dedicated your grandkids to the Lord, now is a good time. Now remember, you're not saying, all right, here you go. You're dedicating yourself and saying, help me to be the parent I ought to be. Help me to be the grandparent I ought to be. Maybe one day some of you may be parents. Maybe some of you have a desire to be a parent one day. There's nothing wrong with saying, help me to learn what I should now before I'm a parent. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, some of you are starting to realize that not only are you raising your kids... You're raising your grandkids' parents. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Now is the time. I'm trying to be as comforting as possible. We have a wonderful God. What you need to do is start from where you are and move forward. And recognize you're not in it alone. We need to ask for help and guidance. And God will give it to us.